Hello and welcome back, La Liga fans. This is the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. I'm your host, professional soccer player Alex Compsia, joined by El Profesor Chris Mumford, Professor of Innovation. What's up, Chris? Not much, not much. Seems like football every three days. What more can you ask for? Lots and lots of football. We also got coach slash expert analyst Scott Martin in the house. What's going on, Scott? Doing great, doing great. So as long as Real Madrid stays at the top of the table, doing great. Yeah, he's doing great. And he's also got a new background. What a nice background there. You got Pepe and Ramos, the bruisers. I see Zidane. Zidane. You got Figo, Cristiano Ronaldo. And Bruno Fernandez too. We got that Portuguese flair, don't you? Born <laughs> in Portugal, so one A, one B. So also using my new La Decima mug. So yeah, beautiful little work there. These are pretty good times for for Portuguese football and for Real Madrid. So congrats to you, Scott. Real Madrid continue to look like they will be the, the team to chase this year, unless Real Sociedad has anything to say about it. Maybe Atletico Madrid. We'll have to see. Sevilla lost once again, this time to Athletic Club Bilbao 2-1. Real Madrid beat Huesca 4-1. That's back-to-back 4-1 losses for Huesca against the number one and number two teams, respectively. Atletico Madrid beat Osasuna 3-1. And finally, FC Barcelona tied 1-1 against Deportivo Alaves. This means going into the week, the table has Real Sociedad first. Real Madrid second, Atletico Madrid third, Cadiz in fourth, Granada in fifth, Villarreal in sixth, and then FC Barcelona in twelfth, and Sevilla finding themselves in sixteenth. Yikes. So we're going to jump right into it with our Champions League recap. Let's kick things off with Atletico Madrid against Salzburg. 3-2 3-2 win there for Atletico Madrid. The game did not start off too great for the Atletico Madrid squad with Salzburg taking the, taking the scoreline 1-0 and then 2-0. Jao Felix was the star there, two goals and an incredible bicycle kick attempt. If you guys saw that off the crossbar was insane. He is in fantastic form. Llorente scored a great left-footed take for the first goal. You know, but it has to be said... I think the keeper could do a little bit better there. Suarez Felix combos looked very dangerous all night long. Uh, Sobatsale with a great goal to tie at 1-1 with the outside of his right foot. Then Lodi seemed to slip there on the left. So maybe he needs to change his cleats there. Salzburg actually took the lead 2-1 on a brilliantly worked goal. Atletico Madrid gets caught aggressively condensing the center of the field. But forget about a late run from Ulmer from the deep left-back position. And Scott, I was thinking when I was watching this goal, this is the typical way you'd want to play against an Atletico Madrid squad that likes to keep things so compact centrally, and they might forget about a late run like Ulmer going through and causes that you know ball over the top, and he's eliminated everyone. Yeah, exactly. And especially if that run is coming from one of the two half spaces or, or possibly even further out wide uh, that's a really tough run to track and Atletico doesn't necessarily do a great job in finding that runner so they do tend to funnel a lot of their play out wide you know, as they do so that's where teams can catch them out and so if you can yeah either make that late run from the wings 
or uh, pull them out of the middle, yeah, you do some damage against this side, especially without Thomas Partey to, to cover the middle. Absolutely. And Thomas Partey seems to be a quite a loss for Atletico. They have turned things around and they're looking a lot better now. Jesse Marsh was pumped after that goal for, for Salzburg, uh, but Felix tied it up 2-2 on an incredible move from Atletico's attack. Once again, Suarez and Felix combining early, then Felix slips in Correa, who looks to be in decent form. And Correa slips it back to Felix for the tap-in. Great goal. Old Black Chris looked fantastic all night long, as he has in La Liga and Champions League. He seems, for me now, to be perhaps, I agree with you, maybe the number one keeper in Spain. Although I, I think Courtois is still challenging there. And then we haven't even talked about Ter Stegen. I don't know. Is Oblak still number one? Uh, I, I think as far as I'm concerned, heck yeah, he is. Uh, you know, I will say Courtois, your point's spot on. I mean, he's he seems to have gotten to be exactly what you'd want out of the keeper is you don't want any surprises, right? Uh, and occasionally you have some real brilliance. Uh, Oblak just happens to bring a lot more brilliance in and I happen to like his distribution more. And poor Ter Stegen, it's hard to uh, to save shots if you're sitting on the bench uh, injured um, and distribution-wise. So, um, you know, uh, we, we will talk a little bit about Neto and kind of some of the challenges with footwork he's had. But uh, I think now is fair to say that Oblak is is the cream of the crop, not only of, of Spain, but potentially a contender for all of Europe. Exactly. Well said, Chris. And you know, they have the hero at the back with Oblak, but they also have the hero up top lately, the young Felix. He was the hero with the late winner. In reality, though, he could have probably had five goals in this game, and that's really not an exaggeration with the amount of chances he he created and, and also Atletico Madrid created for him. But he puts away he puts away the last one, and Atletico Madrid get all three points. Let's transition over to a really tough matchup between Real Madrid versus Munchen Gladbach. Score tied 2-2. Madrid with 66% possession and 22 total shots. Scott, why didn't they smash this team in Mönchengladbach with those stats? <laughs> you would think those stats would lend themselves towards uh, a pretty one-sided affair. But what we really saw was a very stagnant Real Madrid team. For some reason, there's, there's this little bit of a disconnect right now that – they're not playing a massive team like a Barcelona. There is that little bit of a let-off. You know, it's it's. I'm not sure whether to pin this exclusively or if it's really the players who bear that responsibility for a number of really poor performances since coming back from the international window. Um, so we have seen in the past couple of games that Zidane has looked to press high up the pitch with a, a 4-1-4-1 right now. So I don't know if you guys saw that, but as Casemiro eventually left that pivot spot to go press higher at the pitch, there were just massive gaps emerging right in the middle of the pitch. And with a couple of simple passes, the high press was broken and Real Madrid was forced into recovery defense. So, I mean, Alex, you can probably comment on this really well from your perspective as a center back. I mean, that's, that's gotta be really frustrating for those center backs to see not only their linchpin Casemiro, but the whole midfield bypass so easily. Well, yeah, it makes you extremely vulnerable. It's almost like those, you know, it's four V three or five E four drills you play in training where there's no midfielders at all. And all you have is the back line just shifting and, you know, trying to cover that space. You, if you overstep, 
which at times lately Ramos has been doing. He's been overstepping just a little bit too much. And you notice when Casemiro's not there to cover him that he can actually get exposed. You know, for all the praises that, you know, we talk, we sing in terms of Ramos and he deserves them at the end, you know, especially with winning that header for Casemiro to knock in for the win, for the, the tying goal. He does look like at times he makes perhaps decisions that could really cost this Real Madrid defense, but he more than makes up for it clearly on the offensive side and for the majority of the part on the defensive side as well and with his leadership too. I still think Varane is, is a shadow of the player right now than he could that he could be. It's just, it doesn't seem like he's playing with a ton of, of confidence. I am really not sure why. Um, Taram, we talked about Taram last week a little bit going into this game. He had a massive impact on the game. Talked about in the preview last week, of course, the son of the legendary French World Cup winning defender. He's really making a name for himself as a young player and as an attacking player. Um, 1-0, and Gladbach with an incredibly worked goal. They seem like they just picked apart, like you said, Scott, that Madrid midfield and even that defense. Cruz loses possession early and then the incredible pass through the legs of Varane to find Tarem for a really nice left foot finish. Is there anything there you thought besides the cross giveaway that Madrid could have done better on that goal, or was it just really well worked? I think you've got to tip your hat to Mucha Gladbach. That, that was a really well worked uh, goal. The the path Germán was brilliant. Um, Lucas Vasquez was there. He was pretty tight, but it, the pass was just perfect. So not he could have done. It, it's really. I think the play right before the, the initial move to goal that right. set them back. That's and, and that's where they've been sloppy. Right. And Chris, 2-0, um, Uchen Gladbeck take the lead surprisingly. Um, Taram really putting in an easy tap, and it has to be said. But my thought process when I saw the initial shot go into Courtois and he plays it right into Turam's feet, I thought that Courtois could have done a better job in that situation? Am I being unfair? Um, I, I think anytime a keeper doesn't hold on to a ball, uh, questions can be asked. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think there's um, – that's that's why handling has become more and more important and the bar is so much higher. So you either want to um, parry it 20 or 30 yards out to the left or right or – parried over the inline or you want to secure it with your hands. That's probably right. how I take a look at it. Right. But if it's, I agree, if it's coming close to your stomach mm -hmm. is the idea that, you know, first things first, if you can catch it and hold on to it, fantastic. But if it is coming too close to the stomach and it's almost like an awkward position for you to punch it out wide, what's really the, the technique then if the shot's just coming there? <laughs> Is it just just it's, stop it's, the ball and that's it? It's, it's called the Oshiat te te technique, uh, where you just <laughs> you're just trying to keep use any part of your body to keep the ball out of the uh, the net. I mean, yes, that is a an anatomically compromised area to really be able to use one's hands. But you know, I I think one of the things that I must I want to give credit to the modern goalkeeper on is the amount of movement on on these balls versus back in the old days. 
Um, True. It's almost like they design these things to uh, to go knuckleball on you. So um, yeah, I I, I I think a eyebrow can be raised, but I don't know if questions should be asked. Good point. And you know, Courtois did come up with a fantastic one v one save right after Mushenglaba could have taken the lead three zero. Yeah, and he comes in clutch, you know, right after that goal. And it really has to be said too that I thought the Madrid spirit after they went down two zero was pretty good. You know, they believed that they were going to come back into this game, and and they really did. Madrid get one back through Benzema, uh, really dangerous and and great play from Valverde though, you know, to come in from the right side and then push it out and it seems like he has a fantastic delivery with his right foot great back foot post uh, header from from casemiro um, and then casemiro at the death with the finish modric crosses ramos header knocks it down for a tap and just like uh, zidane drew it up right scott <laughs> of course i'm sure he had that one planned but you know i mean to your point like modric mentioning him that that's a really big point when he came in the game changed so I'm not entirely sure why Cruz wasn't able to dictate tempo uh, a little bit more effectively in this match, but it did seem that every time he got the ball, he was slowing the game down, that there really wasn't any sense of urgency with the squad. Right. So when Muldrich came in, he pushed the pace a little bit, and you know we started to see that Real Madrid, start, you know, they clawed their way back in. They had a little bit of urgency. And, you know, with that, that change of pace, I, I think that's where the, the mindset shift really came in. So they needed something to, to mix the game up. And Zidane got his subs right. Credit to him on this one. A couple of performance, really well put, too. And a couple of performances I want to highlight, too, is, you know, what do you, what do you make of Lucas Vasquez? I know we talked about him last week at the right-back position. You know, him filling in again, do you think that's something that will remain? Is, does he provide more than Nacho? Uh, for now, I think he does have to be there. You know, maybe if it's a game where you're going up against uh, a more threatening attacking side, you put in Nacho, have him stay at home, and then use Mendy a little higher up the pitch, or even use Marcelo, put him in, and limit his defensive responsibilities. But I think, especially in La Liga play, as they are expected to you know, really have the ball and dominate these mid to lower tier teams in the league, they probably benefit from having Lucas Vasquez on that side, just because you do get the, the double-edged sword with his attacking contribution. So I, I would look for him to stay at right back until Carvajal can come back. Right. And I do. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I just want to kind of give ourselves a, a high five. Uh, last week we talked about system versus Galactico. And we did raise the alarm on this match, right? That that something could go awry here. And guess what? It did. And, you know, I think the system fully tested much superior talent. And uh, I think Madristas should be ha- would, should probably be pleased with walking out of there with one point, even though they're fourth in Group B uh, out of a six possible points taken. So I just... Uh, again, that hypothesis, I, I think in La Liga, they're going to just be able to roll over teams. There may be a couple of speed bumps, but when it comes to Champions League, it's going to be really interesting. Agreed. And 
one performance too that I thought was was quite good was Marcos Asensio. You know, coming in, I, I thought he was he looked very dangerous and more fluid. There's a couple of good runs and even a really well taken um, shot. I think we're starting to see the beginning of a really fluid front three, and I don't mean that just in the sense of there's going to be a significant you know, three that they're going to hold on to. Whoever he's subbing on, you know, maybe if they all find their form at the same time, that's the way Real Madrid is going to move forward. I mean, Scott, we also saw Eden Hazard finally come back. Looks like he's finally somewhat fit. I don't know if he's fully fit, but in La Liga, he seemed good. And we'll talk about that coming up too. But what do you make of Hazard back? So Hazard coming out of the pitch, you know, even though he didn't make a massive individual contribution in this game, you just see he demands so much attention from the opponent that it gives a little bit of extra freedom to everyone else. So, you know, especially in that game where he replaced Vinicius Jr., who, you know, if you ask Benzema, he was playing against Real Madrid in that game. So I'm sure everyone's aware of that controversy at halftime. But, you know, Hazard, I think he simplifies the game a little bit. He's a little bit more selective in the attacking routes he chooses to take. And he just combines better with Benzema. So, yeah, he just his presence on the pitch made a big difference in that game. And, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Um, he was a difference maker over the weekend. Absolutely. And I want to briefly touch on Sevilla-Rennes transitioning here before we go into the really big game against Barca against Juventus. So Sevilla beat Rennes uh, 1-0. Really important win for a struggling team. Right, Scott? Yeah, definitely. So this is a Sevilla team that just simply can't buy luck by a break in La Liga, but they've played really well in Champions League. They got the 0-0 draw against Chelsea, and they followed it up with a 1-0 win against Ryan. And you look at it, you know, it seems like a pretty close affair, but you really take a, a deep dive into this match, the way it was played, that they really only had the, the long balls to the forwards and, and to Doku on the, the right. Credit to Kunde. Kunde's long balls in this game, his long diagonals were spot on. So he was especially effective with the, the long 50-yard you know, switch to Marcos Acuna on that left-hand side. Yeah. And Acuna was dangerous. So, you know, overall, I think Sevilla will probably be a little disappointed that they didn't, you know, maybe rack up a little bit more momentum, put some, some more uh, balls in the back of the net. But when you look at the overall performance, this was as dominant as you get. Absolutely. And now Barca... Juventus, 2-0 win for Barcelona. Chris, did you expect that? Well, I, I didn't know what to expect just because of the, the injuries and the COVID, on, on, particularly on Juventus. I wasn't sure necessarily who they were going to field. Um, obviously, Ronaldo, um, you know, when, when he gets back on the pitch, of course, you guys probably know this weekend he scored two goals um, in his return game. So um, I think that's a proverbial do dodging of the bullet. Um, Barca, as we all know, needed this so badly, so, so badly. Um, so, you know, it's going to be – that's just that, – the group plays outcomes are going to be really fascinating in, in, um, as we move forward. Right, and I thought particularly – you know, I think it has to be said, Juve were poor. 
we talked about how, at least I talked about last week, about how Pirlo would approach this game. That was a really big question. And I, I think it has to be said that I think he, he got it wrong. I don't understand why it was so easy for Barcelona to penetrate through the middle and, and centrally because that is you know where they're at their best. I don't understand why Messi had they gave Messi so much space. And you know, I, Messi was the man of the match. You know, but I, I didn't think that Juve's tactics and the way they played against him helped their case whatsoever. You know, and in particular, the the gaps between the lines that Barca were finding, more particular, Messi, Griezmann, um, Pedri was outstanding. I thought he had a potentially man of the match performance, if not for for, for Messi's amazing performance. And you know, the first goal, Dembele has to be said, you know, he gets fortunate with a deflection. There's, there's nothing that Chesney can do there, Chris, but you know, if you don't shoot, you don't score, I guess that's what, that's the saying, right? But he does have a nice chop. He comes in from, from the left-hand side and it's a decent strike. I don't think it would have, would have phased Chesney whatsoever, but it has to be said, there's nothing that he can do, you know, on that deflection. All of a sudden, sudden Bars is up. 1-0. And, and yeah, Araujo had to come off. This is the weird part for me. Araujo had to come off at halftime at, from center back. And what does Coleman do? He goes and puts De Jong as a center back. What do you guys make of that decision? Yeah, it was, it was a bizarre decision, but you know, given the lack of depth at center back right now, it's, you know, it worked out. <laughs> You know, for the most part, Barcelona was able to hold uh, Juventus to pretty direct play. They made play pretty predictable for the center backs. So, you know, you don't want to play De Jong there, but, you know, for a, for a fill-in, that's, yeah, not a bad performance. Right. I did think that it's not favorable, though. It's not a long-term solution, of course for De Jong, and I'm not saying that Komen thinks it is. However, he did it again in this past La Liga game where he, he puts De Jong in a center-back position. We talked about De Jong a bit last week, and I think a key for this Barcelona team to, to start improving and getting better is for De Jong to play a more advanced attacking role where, where he likes to be. And, and it's just so unfortunate when he's you know, in that center back position because he, he really, he really can't flourish defensively. I thought he was lucky because he wasn't really exposed all that much. Barcelona were also quite lucky in Murata's hat-trick of offsides. So VAR played a role and to be quite honest, they got all the decisions in my opinion, spot on. Alvaro Murata on the third goal Took, didn't even celebrate. He took the ball and looked at the referee. He's like, is it a goal or not a goal? Because I want to celebrate. So can I celebrate or not? And, you know, they all had to wait for, for VAR. And obviously he was offside again. Uh, Di Maria got a, a red card. And that just really deflated any comeback whatsoever. Um, I thought Rabiot wasn't particularly a good performer or not at his best. And he needed a better performance against a 
a decent Barcelona midfield. I say decent because I thought Pjanic was was subpar. I've been talking about this Busquets versus Pjanic, who should play in that defensive midfield role with with the young. Pjanic had a terrible giveaway in the first half, a square ball right across his 18-yard box that could have resulted easily in a in a 1-0 scoreline for for Juventus. You know, had some some odd one-touch giveaways, but ultimately, you know, Barcelona still gets the job done. A struggling team, a struggling club right now. There, I read an article that they could potentially go bankrupt by January. You have to fact check me on that. I'll, I'll send it over to you guys, but that's not good news whatsoever. Um, and then finally, 2-0. Uh, a silly challenge, it has to be said, from Bernadeschi on Ansu Fati. And then they give the PK. He gives the PK away and Messi just slots at home. And you can't make contact if, if I'm Bernadeschi and Fati's running in front of me. You cannot make physical contact with him once he's in front of you. I would have rather let him take a shot at Chesney from a wider angle. Do you agree, Chris? Completely. You got to trust your keeper in those situations, right? I mean, that's why keepers get the big bucks. Absolutely. So, you know, I think Griezmann was a little better, slightly better. I don't know really what to to make of his performance right now. Dybala was, was frustrated. You know, it has to be said that Kuman did get it right, although it was unorthodox. I thought overall Barcelona were the better side and, and they deserve to win. What would you have done differently though, Scott, if you were Pirlo in this situation? How would you have approached this this game? That's a great question. I think you're right. Uh, Kuman did get it spot on. And quite frankly, I, I think Barcelona was significantly better than Juventus. And one of the oddities of this game for me that it seemed like both sides missed most of their best opportunities. And the goals that were scored, I mean, kind of weird, unfortunate plays. So when you look at uh, Juventus's play, I thought they, they needed a little bit more on the wings. They really struggled to break through Barcelona's press. And it did seem like they were trying to force play through the middle um, trying to engage, especially Rabio. I just don't think those Juventus center midfielders were very comfortable playing through that press. So I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Juventus on the wings. We know that Barcelona is especially aggressive on the wings. It, uh, you know, they'll pull the, the two fullbacks way up high. So that's really the best place to attack them. Especially when you had Ling Lei on the pitch in the first half, you know, why not go after him and make him try to defend in that left wing? So that's where, you know, if I'm Pirlo, I'm changing it up a little bit. I think they were a little too slow and, and not prepared to take advantage of those transitional moments. Whereas Barca was ready. Uh, Juventus got caught out quite often, and Barcelona should have punished them a few times, at the very least. Absolutely. But. Great news for Barcelona. You know, they got the job done against a really great club. And Chris, I think it just comes down to they were lucky Cristiano Ronaldo was not there. Because even if Juventus played poorly and they had Ronaldo in the lineup, I think it could have been way different. Moving on here to our La Liga recap. Real Madrid thumped Huesca 4-1. That's Huesca's second 4-1 thumping in the last 
week. Hazard was back in the lineup, and he scored a golazo of a left foot, Scott. What, what impressed you about this Real Madrid performance? Uh, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. <laughs> right before that Hazard goal, I critical of the performance because it was another very slow, very uninspiring performance until Hazard took it upon him to, to really start the party. But for those first 40 minutes, uh, it was really difficult to watch. A lot of the same sluggish structure. Again, Casemiro going way too high, no coverage behind him. And it left that back line exposed. So fortunately, they were playing Huska instead of Gladbach. Um, but, you know, I think once Hazard really took the initiative to, to you know, try to make something happen for himself, uh, scored that absolute rocket, just beautiful bending shot away from the keeper. You got the sense that uh, that more goals were coming. So Benzema got his goal right before halftime. And then, you know, it was a fairly easy second half for them. So, you know, who's going to try to get numbers forward? Couldn't quite match up with Real Madrid, especially since Casemiro could then play a little bit more conservatively. But, yeah, if I'm Zidane, it's probably those first 45 or 40 minutes that I'm really focusing on as the team prepares for a very good Inter Milan side. That, that's my big concern with this performance. So, yeah, 4-1 result, great. We got some goals. But the performance in those first 40 minutes were really sluggish again. Yeah, it's just really interesting because there's some really key individual performances that I think are – are really impressive for Real Madrid at the moment. Valverde is playing exceptionally well. I personally feel like he should be a starter 100% at this point. Casemiro's playing, you know, a little bit under his potential, maybe for you quite a lot. I think Benzema is looking fantastic. He's starting off from that hot streak at the at, at like just like the end of last year. And then Hazard coming back and finding form. What I'm really thinking, too, is Real Madrid, they seem vulnerable defensively, like you said. However, how come they're able you know, to overcome those moments? Maybe this is just small bumps in the road early on before they really take this whole thing to another level, where they become an unstoppable team in this league. Do you guys see that happening, or are these problems going to be repeated over the season for them? I think my take is teams tend to play at the level of where their competition is. And I, I'm going to, you know, I will say, I think La Liga competition overall is probably competitively as weak this year as it's been in memory, right? I mean, I, Scott, help me out. Uh, you're You're much more in tune with the history of this than I am, but I mean, they, you know, so far they've scored 13 goals and they've given up five, you know, only bested by Real Sociedad of 18 and four. And I just, I think all of us believe Real Sociedad is not going to be able to maintain this pace at all. So you've got Atletico, right, which is basically 13 goals, not same as Real Madrid, but they've only given up two goals. Now, part of that is what competition um, th that, that's been played. But um, I just feel like 
Real Madrid is going to pull a Juve this year where they're going to be able to play at subpar and still continue to more or less win every, every game. I think that's a really fair statement. Anything to add there, Scott? It, I, it almost seems like Zidane is taking this little bit of leeway with Barcelona's results to, to kind of test out a few concepts. Um, hopefully he abandons that 4-1-4-1 press. Um, it's not working. It doesn't look good. It's not producing any opportunities. And it, it takes away Casemiro uh, and Ramos. That, that's the most important relationship on the pitch. Um, but when you look at the... The level play, Chris, yeah, I, I think that's 100% fair. Uh, the level has dropped off in the past few years. And, um, yeah, you know, in the end, I think Real Madrid does see this one out pretty comfortably. But for for me, you know, what is their Champions League performance going to look like? You know, at this point, are they going to get out of the group stage? You know, you would assume so. This is Real Madrid, after all. Um, but... Do we have another round of 16 or quarterfinal exit? You know, that's, that is a concern now, especially if they do finish second in the group and have a nightmare knockout round draw right away. Definitely a lot to sort out there. Athletic Club Bilbao beat Sevilla 2-1 in a decent performance for Bilbao, but you have to say subpar performance from Sevilla. That makes it three losses in a row in La Liga, losing 1-0 against Granada, 1-0 against Aibar, and then 2-1 now against Athletic Club Bilbao. They did get that midweek win against Rennes, which we obviously previewed earlier. That was big for them. But fun fact, every defender on Sevilla got a yellow card in this game. I don't know what to make of that. Maybe that's just, you know, poor defending or they're just out of place out of position so they have to you know make fouls that they wouldn't normally have to make if they were well balanced maybe that maybe that's a decent point there munain with, with a big impact as well scoring um, off the back post early on sevilla was looking decent you know with an early goal i think they thought they were in in good shape but Later on, Sensei you know, at the back post gets that goal, and that means Sevilla continues to struggle, and they're not far away from that relegation zone, Chris. Maybe they're, they're going to be the ones relegated, not Valencia. Who knows? Atletico Madrid beat Osasuna 3-1. Felix, once again, two goals in exceptional form. He scores a PK and then gets another PK but misses it. Finally, he gets his second on a counterattack with a Brilliant finish, close control, and then smacks it into the right-hand corner of the goal. Oblak had another ridiculous highlight video save in this one. I have no idea how he stretched out and, and made this one. Um, so just just more of the same, really, from Atletico Madrid, it seems, from the Champions League game against, against Salzburg. It seems like they're finding more consistency. Torreira got one late on as well. That should boost his confidence in that middle of the field. Was with a Thomas, right, with Thomas Partey leaving as well. And it, like you said, Scott, it really was a beauty. Hopefully that will you know, increase his performance for this Atletico Madrid side. Budimir gets one in too, but a little too little too late or not enough for Mosasuna. 
Let's jump into Barcelona and Deportivo Alaves. I'm sure you guys have a lot to say about the struggling Barcelona side. It's painful, Scott. It's just really, really painful to be a Barcelona fan, which I obviously am at this time. Yeah, disappointing performance from Barca, especially coming off a big midweek win. Busquets' pressing stood out to me as as quite insane. Um, he would blindly step out of the defensive midfield as soon as they would lose the ball, I guess thinking about the six-second press rule. The problem is he just can't get there. He can't cover that space anymore. I don't know if he really could earlier, but at least they had a system you know, where he wasn't so exposed. And I was just completely shocked at how easily Barcelona could get countered by an Alavis squad that is decent. And all due respect again to Alavis, last week we wrote this off as an easy win. We said, Huesca Real Madrid, easy win. Yeah, maybe not so much, but at the end of the day, the results, it looked like an easy win. Barca Alavis was absolutely not the case. I said maybe potentially easy win. No chance. This was a really tough matchup for them. Um, Messi's free kick in the first half. Ball falls to Busquets. Clear opportunity to shoot. And he passes it to Griezmann, who doesn't pull the trigger. Just, just no one really taking accountability to put the ball in the back of the net. And there's a time where you can walk the ball into the goal. I think when you have you know, the confidence and you're scoring a ton of goals like the old Barcelona system was. And there's a time to just, you know, take the shot. Come on. Like there was, it was really frustrating, obviously, personally for me to watch this Barcelona team struggle so much. And I know, Chris, you got probably a lot to say about what happened with PK and Neto there. Gosh, a real, real big blunder. Yeah, I mean... I think the main, the way I, I looked at it several times and after it happened, and my sense is that PK didn't do him any favors, right? Um, but I would say maybe that's 20% or 30% of the fault. If you're a goalkeeper and you're playing in one of the top five leagues, you, you got to do one of two things. One is you, you better have good enough feet to be able to handle it standing in front of the goal uh, from at that yardage. Or number two, if you don't, you got to back up and or move to the left or right of the goal in case there's a bit of a mishap. So if you do get challenged or something goes wrong, you can dump it out over the inline. And in he, I, I think, I think was maybe a little bit too comfortable about things and saw an a, a outrushing person, got caught under his feet. And, you know, that's clearly a goalkeeper error there. Um, so certainly at least 80%, um, maybe maybe 90%. And um, it's unfortunate, but that's the rules of the game, right? I mean, that's if, if keepers are going to play with their feet more and people are going to pass back, you're going to live and die by that sword. Uh, so um, unfortunate that it came down to that, but Hey, hats off to the uh, Alave striker who he's probably made that run 19 times with like nothing to call. And this one time he gets a gift and guess what? They tie the mighty Barcelona. Absolutely. And what I didn't really understand about the, the Neto and PK play was, was why Neto started 
sprinting. If you watch initially, he actually really comes out of the six and starts sprinting really hard. And I think when he slows down is when PK makes the pass. Like you said, he should have the feet to absolutely, if he was to sprint, slow down and control the ball and, and play it. But I think he was kind of taken aback and surprised. First touch wasn't great. His feet weren't set yet. And I still don't get why he sprinted out because PK had it covered. I think maybe he wanted to, to grab it and secure it into his hands and PK shields it off. Perhaps that was, that was what he was thinking. But, you know, regardless, I don't think there was ever a competition between Neto and Enterstegen for Neto to potentially have a spot. That's completely not even, you know, being asked with Ter Stegen coming back hopefully soon. Maybe that could change something for this Barcelona squad. Jota gets a, a red card, but that ultimately didn't do a whole lot in terms of Barcelona you know, finding the back of the net. They had a couple good chances, it has to be said. Griezmann finally gets a well-worked goal. Great chip, but he, he still just doesn't look like himself. He doesn't look really confident within this Barcelona system. Maybe it's just down to playing with Messi, and he's just unable to, you know, to he wants to occupy the space that Messi is occupying because you see that's what happened with the France team. And now he's he has to, to go somewhere else, you know, and Messi is always in that space in the central of the field where, where Griezmann, I think, thrives. So perhaps a little bit better again from Griezmann, but it's not it's not enough. Dest almost scored right at the end. It has to be said, hats off to, to Alaves. They deserve a lot of credit um, for making this such a difficult game for, for Barcelona, but I think Barcelona did shoot themselves in the foot. And finally, De Jong, center back, once again, we saw it in the Juventus game. Really don't know what to make of it. Um, I would almost prefer Sergio Roberto, Scott, to play center back. I think he could do a better job to keep De Jong higher up the pitch um, and then put in Dest, you know? Or maybe Alba, Alba couldn't, you know, last the whole game. That's why Dest came in, I understand. But I'd prefer a Sergio Roberto and a real defender to play back there so that we can see more of De Jong in his natural role and, and be more creative. He's just... It's, he's really frustrated right now. You can tell. Yeah, you know, one thing that was odd with that move is that it, it really gave the sense that Coleman was just trying to pack the pitch with as many attacking players as he could. So, and, and you know, to some degree that worked. You know, up until that red card in the 62nd minute for Jolta, Barcelona had eight shots. From that point to the end of the match, I think they had 17. So, I mean, they were pummeling the goal. And you could see that as the game progressed, and especially with Alaves down a man, um, you know, Barcelona knew that they really didn't have many defensive responsibilities. Alaves couldn't get out. So, you know, it's, it's still, yeah, you're right. It's an odd decision to, to have him back there instead of Roberto. But, I mean, again, it, it does give you another deep-lying playmaker. I think if you're going to have to resign yourself to dis deep distributions for, from either De Jong or Roberto, you're probably going with De Jong. So, you know, maybe that's the thinking. 
not really sure there. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you're Barcelona, you really have to be disappointed that you get 30 minutes at Alaves with 10 men and, and you still can't overcome that deficit. So, and, and Alex, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, they're really, between the two games this past week, there really does seem to be some hesitation from the attackers in Barcelona to really pull the trigger yeah. in or near the box. It's, it's almost like everybody wants to defer and, you know, they want Messi to be the one to, to live with the consequences right. of the shot. Right. And uh, it's really unfortunate, too. The last point I'll say about Barcelona is uh, I really haven't seen Messi look so... He just doesn't look like he's enjoying the game right now. Um, he looks very frustrated, and it's it's quite sad, honestly, because when you see him play at his best, he's always focused. You got to give him that. He's always focused on the task, but he, he got a pretty, you know, debatable yellow card. I think that was a red for anyone else besides Messi, where he kicks the ball right next to the the referee. If it's not Messi, I think it's for sure a red. And he just does not look fun. Um, and, and look, he, he wanted to leave. He said he'll stay and he's doing everything he can. But it's just it's just really, it, it's tough times. It's tough to watch. So hopefully, I don't know how they're going to turn that around. I don't have any solutions. I don't think the best, you know, soccer coaches, I think, and, 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 and tacticians and analysts, even like us, have have many solutions for this team, you know. It just seems like they're going where they're going and, and nobody can really bring them out of that, especially with Messi in his later years. It seems we'll deeper than the tactics, doesn't it? Right, yeah. It seems, it seems very deep, their issues. So, Real Sociedad on the bright side. I don't think we sing their praises enough because they beat Celta Vigo 4-1 once again. They are scoring a ton of goals, Scott. They have the top scorer in Oriol Zabal. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Is that how you say it? Oriol Zabal? You got it right there. Miguel there you go, Oriol Zabal. They have a, a little magician in, in David Silva. William Jose up top scored, scored two goals. What's making this Real Sociedad team tick? They have Yanozai off the bench, who has the best goals per minute average, I believe, in La Liga. Yeah, Um you know, we, we really saw them last season get into this type of a run right before the COVID suspension of play. Um, they When they do attack, they tend to have a, a very indirect start to really try and unbalance opponents. But then when they go, they fly down the field. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've got some speed up top. Um, they've got, you know, like you said, David Silva, who's an absolute magician in the midfield he's come in and he's given them the the stability that they had last year with Martin Odegaard you know of course I think after that return from play from COVID Odegaard issue so you know maybe that's where the the down play uh really went with Real Sociedad but we we've seen Silva really step in and they're just they're fun to watch right now They're, they're playing with a lot of joy so, you know, they're, they're very strong in the middle. But then they've got those wide outlets, uh, you know, typically one player managing the width of the pitch on either side. And so, let's, 
to that very quick direct attack on goal. So yeah, I mean, if you haven't watched Real Sociedad yet this season, you got to watch their matches, especially while they're on such a hot streak because they are a very fun team. Absolutely, and uh, to to finally preview, you know, some of the La Liga matches coming up. We won't go too much into detail here because we want to really start talking about Real Madrid versus Inter, a massive matchup. Barca plays Real Betis. Letico Madrid plays Cadiz. And Real Madrid plays Valencia. Chris Scott, any games in, out of those three or any teams that really stand out as you know potential upsets? Or does this look like maybe Cadiz, they're in fourth place and they seem to be playing well, Scott? I don't know what to, to make of, of this week's matchups here. You know, Batiste could be a problem for Barcelona, the way they're playing. I haven't really seen much of Cadiz play, but Atletico looks to be in great form. And Chris, Valencia's, you know, they're going in relegation zone, so why should Madrid even care? <laughs> you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this weekend is is not necessarily spectacular, obviously, in terms of matchups. Um, but I think that tired legs are uh, during the week are going to make for some potential fireworks on the weekend. And uh, I do think you've been hinting at the, the Betis-Barca uh, game that, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how much energy and mojo they have. Let's hope that the existential angst of Barca does not um, uh, cause its own undoing against Betis. I think Cadiz, you know, they've scored six goals and they've given up two. So hats off to them for uh, uh, for them doing so well on, on that front. But I just feel like, um, sorry, eight goals, four and six goals given up. Um, I just think that it's one of those early season wonders right there. So I don't know if there's going to be a lot of action there. So I think it's one of those sort of La Liga's got 20 teams and everyone's got to play twice. And, you know, let's see if there's uh, a little bit of drama that the uh, script writers um, uh, share with us. Watch out for that Cadiz matchup. So, you know, they're, they're not a side that really enjoys playing with the ball. They're actually a lot like Granada last year. Um, mm -hmm. They won't have much possession, but when they counterattack, when they have a set-piece opportunity, they're dangerous. So this past weekend against Ibar, you know, 15th place Ibar, Cadiz only managed 27% possession. That's insane. 27%. You know, while playing a team that's in that relegation area. So, you know, they don't want the ball, but that's part of the formula. That's They're going to make the game... Um, very slow, very uh, very difficult for Atletico to progress, especially through the middle, through João Felix. And we'll see exactly how much Atletico wants to gamble and push numbers forward. Because that's where Cadiz hurts you. you know, if, if Atletico wants to wander the, the wings, watch out. Man, 27%, that does not sound like, like much fun as a player. But hey, if you're a defender, maybe it is. You get more reps in. So, yeah. So, Champions League, big time game. Real Madrid versus 
Inter Milan. Chris, I know you're super excited for your man Lukaku to potentially make a big impact in this matchup. Scott, I know you're super excited, obviously, because you're a Madrid fan and they're doing pretty well right now. Let's go head-to-head here. What do you guys see happening in this game? I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Lukaku is out with a tear in his abdomen. Oh, really? So um, I... For some reason, City Eye has a way of, of, of becoming highly dependent on one scorer. Uh, and um, Lukaku is exactly that. Um, I think Inter, um, they have a well, really well-seasoned, well-distributed age profile for their, their players. But if they don't have Lukaku's goals and they don't have his ability in which to hold up things, I don't rate them very high, to be honest with you. You know, just as if you took Ibra out of AC Milan or Ronaldo out of Juve, I just feel that Real is going to be able to grind this one out um, without a great deal of trouble. Scott, I'm, I'm happy for you to disagree with me on this. Oh, man, I, I wish I could. So for me, I think just because it is another one of Europe's traditional elites, we see Real Madrid show up a little bit. So I think uh, from Real Madrid's perspective, that high press could be an issue. We could see uh, Inter Milan pick them apart. And they've got some players, even without Lukaku, they still have Lopetto Martinez. They still have a few other quality players on the wings that can really do some damage. So to me, that's the biggest concern for Real Madrid. Otherwise, I expect them to have the ball. I, I think Inter will gladly concede it. And, um, yeah, I, I want to say a close game with maybe a one-goal margin, probably in Real Madrid's favor. I mean, there's some, there's some really key matchups in here. That I'm just looking at some of the, the previews or potential lineups. I'd love to hear what your take is, Scott, on, on who you think will actually start for Madrid. I think we know, okay, Courtois, Varane, Ramos, that makes sense. Is it going to be Mendy on the right? Or are we going back to our man Lucas Vasquez on the right? What do you think? I think it's got to be either Vasquez or Nacho. It's going to be Vasquez or Nacho. And then does that mean Marcelo or Mendy goes in? The reason why I asked this is you got a lightning quick star in Hakimi on the right-handed side, and that could cause a ton of trouble for Real Madrid. Obviously, he was previously with Real Madrid, right? And, and that, could, that could cause some problems if it's Marcelo who comes in and you know he is the one who's, who's bombing up the field and, and, and uh, they're playing that Inter Milan, at least, is playing that three-back system that turns into a five with Perisic and Hakimi being so fluid in those wide spots. I personally see this being potentially potentially an issue for for Madrid. They got a tough midfield in Vidal and, and Brozovic. You know that can that could be rough too for for Casemiro, Cruz, and Valverde. But you know Casemiro probably is going to live up to his his bruiser name. You know in this midfield and and love the challenge. I'm excited for the battle. I think it's going to be a a clash. Who do you think starts up top besides Benzema? I think you have to go with Hazard if he's 
if he actually is healthy. And then I'm really liking that Asensio and Valverde pairing on the right side. Yeah. So you can have Asensio pinch into the midfield, you know, maybe play in the half space. And, you know, if that frees up the wing for Valverde, uh, who's, we got to be honest, his distributions from the wings have really improved this season. So I think that's the route they have to go. Uh, he does help them diversify the attack a little bit. Uh, so I think that's the starting lineup. At the back, I, I do think you need Mendy on the left-hand side for Hakimi. So that will be one of the key matchups for me. Um, Hakimi, I think he's he's actually one of like the 10 fastest players in world soccer. Oh, yeah. I'd put him up there. Yeah, and I mean, if Mendy is great at any one thing, it's his recovery after that giveaway. So I think that will be crucial. So then, you know, they, they have to gauge what do they do on that that right-hand side? You know, how much do they, I guess, anticipate the threat of Perisic coming from the left? Because, you know, maybe that's where that you go with Nacho, uh, someone who is maybe to defense first. Or maybe maybe you even go with Militao on that right-hand side. He did play that role a few times last season. And he's another guy who's very athletic, very good in his 1v1 defense. Right. I don't think Perisic would give him 1v1 issues. Mm. So if if... if Inter Milan does play a low block. Well, first of all, do we expect them to play a low block against Madrid, or do you think they're going to really come out and, and give them a game? Look for them to get numbers behind the ball, but you know, maybe set a midfield line of confrontation. You know, I, I don't think they'll necessarily settle into a low block, and I, I don't think they'll really have to. Um, if you can get Real Madrid playing through a middle block, they will always look to play into the one of the two wings. Right. And from there, it's easy enough to to restructure your defense and make sure you shore up the middle to prevent any lanes to goal. Right. I think the counterattack is going to be key for Madrid to clog up. And traditionally, they are pretty good at that. Because personally, I do feel like Inter is going to will start to sit back a little bit. Especially, that's what naturally happens with a three in the back, with potentially, obviously, five is is the wing backs really cover that wide space and it really just starts to look like a, like a five. And then what happens a lot or what could potentially happen is if you have, like we're predicting here, Asensio and Hazard, I don't think they're going to stay out wide too much. I think they're going to actually come in to the spots where the center backs, one of the three center backs has to step out. And, you know, that could cause a lot of space for, for Benzema to run into as his movement has been, like we've said, exceptional as of late i think one way to unlock this inter milan side too is through valverde he's just a different type of midfielder he doesn't he seems like he's this you know little bit little bit deeper not traditional attacking mid but all of a sudden he's got this explosiveness about him where he can break that three in the midfield and all of a sudden he's running at the three center backs and let's say one of them's occupied with either Asensio or Hazard, then Benzema's open, or the or the other side, flip side, if it's Hazard tucking in, maybe Asensio's open. Or maybe yeah. an overlap. Yeah, and Alex, I mean, on that point, if you look at that left-hand side for Inter, if that's Perisic playing that, that left-winger role, he's right. probably not dropping back quite as far as Hakimi is. True. So it, it is an asymmetric back line. 
And the guy that I would expect to play that that left center back role for Inter is Kolarov, who's you know a little bit up there in years. Right. So that really could be um, a real target for Real Madrid in this match. I, I would really go after that that left hand side and try to pin Pedisic back as far as I can, and make sure that he has to come back in support of Kolarov. Great point. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree. Kolarov has got a big red bullseye on his chest. Uh, he's been targeted by a lot of teams. You know, without Lukaku, Alexi Sanchez is is injured, right? So that means Erickson may be either in play as a starter or at least get 20, 20 minutes or so. Right. You've got um, Stefano Sensi, a central midfielder that's been out for three games, has got muscular problems. And then you've had Vecino, uh, Matias Vecino, who's been out for 19 matches in the central midfield. Uh, so, you know, I think those, those, those central um, midfielders have somewhat compromised the defensive um, success of Inter and the number of goals that they've had scored on them reflect that. But I just feel like without the venom, you know, the, the mid block is kind of what their go-to is. And they, they could, their first look up was to Lukaku, right? right. And now they're going to have to work with an Ericsson or a Lutaro or, or, or work it up through the wings. And I just feel that um, Real Madrid's just got the quality to, to, uh, to kind of shut this down. As much as I, I am an Inter fan, I mean, I'm a realist. You are right. And um Last thing, clash of the massive goalkeepers in Handanovic versus Courtois, 6-4 against 6-6. Chris, what do you, what do you make of it? These, well, these monster goalkeepers. Serie loves big goalkeepers. Don, Donnarumma is no, no little – he's a, a little 6'4", 21-year-old himself. So uh, they like him big down there. For sure. Massive game. It's going to be super exciting. I think as we can tell from, from us breaking it down, I'm looking forward to it. For me, it's on the calendar as match of the week. FC Barcelona takes on Dinamo Kiev. Atletico Madrid takes on Lokomotiv. And Sevilla takes on, let me pronounce this right, Krasnodar. Is that how you say it? That's it. Decent there. I'm getting better. Lots to look forward to. Gentlemen, thank you so much. That wraps up today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Low League Podcast. A big thank you to Chris and Scott for your fantastic insights today. We would also like to thank Total Football Analysis Solutions. Go check out www.totalfootballanalysis.com. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. See you next week and hasta luego. 